for investors concerned that that will drive continued volatility in the equity markets through year end and into next year, maybe it does make sense to take a little bit of that performance that we've benefited from earlier in the year, lock in some of that and move to a slightly more defensive tilt. The risks posed by higher rates, still stubborn inflation, as well as small but growing cracks in the overall economy, notably in Canada, suggest a rotation into low volatility strategies may be prudent. On today's episode, portfolio managers Chris McHaney, Matt Montemuro, and your host Mackenzie Box discuss options for investors looking to de-risk a portion of their equity allocations. They also break down the likelihood of rising corporate default rates and the impact that could have on high-yield credit, as well as examine whether it's time to start adding to utilities among the worst-performing sub-indexes in North America year-to-date. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. Hello and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insights podcast with our team of experts. Thank you to everyone for continuing to tune in and to provide comments and questions each and every week. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Fox, in product at BMO Global Asset Management. Today, I am joined by Matt Montemuro and Chris McKinney, who are both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So a special thank you to both Matt and Chris for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Mackenzie. All right. Well, let's dive in. Matt, we'll start with you. Based on what we're seeing in headlines and kind of over the news, it sounds like we're nearing the end of a hiking cycle in both Canada and the U.S., having made meaningful progress in cooling inflationary fears. Can you give us an update on the inflation landscape and where you currently see break-evens and what this tells investors? Yeah, absolutely, Mackenzie. And you know, we've definitely come a long way in our battle with inflation. You know, from the highs in Canada of 8.1% and the highs in the US of over 9%. It's quite impressive to see a, a 2% or 3% handle on inflation prints month over month. We're still waiting on Canada's CPI print. For August, that'll come next week. But we did get August print for the US. US CPI came in at 3.7%. So that was slightly hotter than expectations. You know, inflation's not going away and it's it's still sticky and and uh, surprising us on the upside, but it was just slightly above expectations uh, for August. These types of prints, you know, the ones that are a little bit hotter uh, than expected are why investors continue to look for uh, inflation protection in their portfolios. We will see how the market digests this news over the day, but the continued expectation as of now is that the Fed will follow the Bank of Canada's uh, lead from earlier this month in their hold position moving into the fall. So that means overnight rates in, in Canada and the US, that'd be 5% and 5.5% respectively. Uh, they seem to be high enough to continue to cool prices and bring CPI uh, to both the central bank's 2% targets. So, you know, we, we do expect, and we, we've heard the rhetoric uh, from both central banks, kind of higher rates for longer, making sure that those pricing fears are, are stem for good. Uh, and so right now, it does seem like both central banks are comfortable with that 5 and 5.5% 5 overnight rate, and that that 
that in that itself should do the job in cooling inflation over time. When I'm looking at the inflation landscape, you know, what does the market see right now? We've seen inflation break-evens come down meaningfully uh, year to date as higher rates have made their way through the economy. You know, cooling prices, it's been a slow process, but it does seem to be working. Uh, Yet in August, you know, we did see some global risk off tone in the markets, which we saw rates rise in the long end, which you hadn't seen in quite some time, as rate cut expectations continue to be pushed out further in 2024 and potentially into 2025. Look at inflation break even since the beginning of August. We have seen, uh, especially short term, kind of the five year in Canada and the one, two, and three year in the US, you know, did start to widen a little bit, potentially refueling some of those inflation concerns. You know, today's hotter than expected print. That's going to continue to fuel it. You know, so every time we think we're kind of out of the way and, and we've made meaningful progress, you know, inflation does show that prices are still hot and we, there's still work to be done. And, and that does um, cement that higher for longer narrative that we continue to hear in the market. If you look at year to date, both ZTIP, ZTIP, so that's the BMO short-term US TIPS index ETF, and TIPS, so that's TIPS, which is our BMO US TIPS index ETF, both have outperformed their nominal bond counterparts of the same term. So, you know, I'd be comparing it to ZTS, that's our BMO short-term U.S. Treasury, and you could also compare it to ZTM, our BMO mid-term U.S. Treasury ETFs. You know, as inflation protection uh, still has been topical, we continue to see surprises on the upside, uh, and we continue to see realized inflation remain higher than what the market expects inflation to be. So, you know, TIPS has been a positive um, contributor to performance year to date. You know, so while I do think we are nearing the end of our needs for TIPS, you know, I, I think versus last year, I think the need for TIPS in a portfolio is probably less so because we are starting to see that meaningful decrease in price concerns. But if I do look at the break-evens, I see a one-year break-even at about 1.71% in the US. So in my p- opinion, I continue to believe that prices uh, will be sticky, and even with higher rates for longer, I would be surprised if we uh, are below 1.71% in inflation. Therefore, I still see value in tips within a portfolio. So there's less value than there was a year ago, but there's still value in the short term. So I would look to favor Z-tip. You know, as a way to get short-term exposure, and basically, I consider it cheap inflation insurance right now. You know, you're protecting yourself for any of those uh, higher than expected. You know, prints like today. So, with the rate moves we saw in August, with longer-term rates rising and, and push the pushing out of rate cuts to later in 2024, I think that short-term positioning is prudent right now. It's the part of the curve that I see the most value. And when you can earn an attractive yield while also protecting against any sort of upward surprise in inflation, I think Z-tip is excellently positioned for the current market. You know, longer term, if I look at three and five year time horizon, if I look at three and five year uh, inflation break-evens, those look to be about 2.3%. I consider this well within the Fed's target, and, and I don't see much value in using inflation protection further out the curve right now. I think that was something that I can I definitely saw value in a year ago and I see less value in now. So if I was looking for government exposure with a little bit more duration, 
for TIPS, that's a six-year duration. I would maybe look at the more nominal bond choices. So I would look at ZTM, that midterm U.S. Treasury ETF, or I would look at ZUAG or BMO U.S. Aggregate Bond ETF as a way to get kind of more duration exposure full-term exposure to the U.S., and you're getting that nominal bond exposure. You don't have to pay up for that inflation protection, which I don't think you necessarily need further out the curve. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, short-term, I think ZTIP, still an excellent complement to your portfolio. And then if you're looking kind of longer term for some, uh, you know, core of of your U.S. component, I think ZUAG is extremely well positioned for the period ahead. Great. Thanks, Matt. Amid high interest rates and market volatility, consider BMO's top three ETFs yielding over 6%. The BMO Covered Call Utilities ETF, ticker ZWU, provides exposure to an equal weight portfolio of utilities, telecoms, and pipeline companies. The BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF, ticker ZWB, invests solely in Canadian financials presenting an attractive valuation opportunity. And the BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWC, features solid historical dividend growth. To learn more, visit bmoetfs.com and search for tickers ZWU, ZWB, and ZWC. Next, we'll move to you, Chris. Historically speaking, September has been the weakest month of the year. Now, how does that compare for this year so far? And should we be positioning for more volatility going into year end? Sure. Thanks, Mackenzie. And yeah, this is really one of those seasonality type questions, seasonality of the equity markets. Uh, You are correct. You know, if we look back and let's use a 20 year window, uh, a 20 year look back uh, on average, September has been the worst performing month. uh, If we look at the S&P 500 uh, for U.S. exposure and also even for Canadian exposure, if you look at the TSX composite. So far this year here in September, it looks like we are slightly down as well. But, you know, one thing I would caution to investors and, you know, this really goes for all rules of investing is that nothing is absolute and nothing works 100 percent of the time. You know, I think most investors do understand that. Um, you know, if you look at which months seasonally, again, on average, do deliver that negative performance in Canada, it tends to be June and September. Um, that gives you that, you know, sell in May and go away uh, strategy of, you know, essentially uh, avoiding those summer months and those months where uh, on average the market is weaker. Um, that's where that sort of axiom came from. And if you look at the U.S. market, uh, June and September stick out as negative months as well, as well as January. Again, this is something that investors could play over the long term, and on average, maybe that tends to work out. But if we look specifically here at 2023, um, you know, two of those months I mentioned, uh, January and June, historically two of the weakest months in the equity market. Um, this year, the S&P 500 was up over 6% in each of those months. So investors trying to avoid these negative seasonality effects would have missed out on over 12% return potentially in that S&P 500 exposure just this year. So I think it just goes to show that, again, nothing uh, works uh, 100% of the time. Uh, there is some element of seasonality to the markets. It's, it's less clear as to how that works and, and how often it works. So you know, I think really the message to investors is to stay invested over time and stay true to your asset allocation mix. 
Now, if we just look at this year specifically and into year end, you know, as I mentioned, there were some strong months in the market earlier this year. And if you're in the S&P 500 and, you know, the equivalent ETF here at BMO would be ZUE, the BMO S&P 500 hedge to CAD index ETF, um, you know, looking at the hedge to CAD indexes here to remove the currency effects you would be up probably mid to high uh, teens in terms of your performance so far this year. And so for investors looking to maybe lock some of that in or take a little bit of risk off the table as we move in towards year end, you know, maybe you move a portion of that allocation to a defensive sector or a defensive factor, such as low volatility, for example. So if you're in that uh, S&P 500 exposure and you want to maintain U.S. equity exposure, maybe take a piece of that and move it into ZLU, the BMO US Low Volatility Equity ETF. And that gives you a little bit more defensive tilt. Uh, it's it's uh, sectors that generally have not performed as well this year, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But it is something that provides a more defensive tilt to that equity exposure you already have on. And again, an exposure that you've probably done pretty well in if you've held it throughout this year. So I think Matt did a good job explaining and going through, you know, where we are with inflation and how it's, you know, still uh, a relevant thing to look at. It's not really going away. There's an element of stickiness there. And so for investors concerned that that will drive continued volatility in the equity markets through year end and into next year, um, you know, maybe it does make sense to take a little bit of that performance that we've benefited from earlier in the year, uh, lock in some of that and move to a slightly more defensive tilt. Um, of course, depending on your outlook, you can maintain that full market exposure um, or you can determine, you know, what percentage of that exposure you want to move into that more defensive factor. Great. Thanks, Chris. Matt, passing it back to you, um, with more and more headlines calling for a soft landing, can you give us an update on the high yield market and how it has fared year to date and what your outlook is on high yield going forward? In spite of higher rates, high yield has actually continued to perform extremely well. You know, year to date, high yield outperformed both investment grade and emerging market debt, uh, generating strong returns for investors. You know, we've seen the BMO US high yield bond index ETF, so that's uh, two tickers, ZHY and ZJK, uh, outperform other segments of the market, you know, taking advantage of a, of a little bit of a risk on tone in the markets, taking advantage of uh, some spread tightening that we've seen uh, in, in uh, throughout the year. You know, while it has been a volatile year, you know, let's just take March for that example, where we saw spreads, you know, blow out quite considerably, you know, as a whole, uh, high yield has continued to see spread compression and tightening, which has led to outperformance. You know, I do keep asking myself, you know, how long can this really last? Uh, high yield issuers that locked in historically low rates in, in 2020, you know, they're coming up on refinancing and, and there's some refinancing risk on the horizon. How do we not see an increase in defaults when companies that once it raised debt for about 5%, are now required to do so at 10%. You know, in my opinion, this is going to seriously stress some business models and we're going to start to see an uptick in defaults. We've already started to see that this year, but I think we're going to see a little bit more of a cleansing of the bottom of the high yield universe. You know, all in all, you know, I don't want to raise too many uh, too many alarms here. You know, this isn't a bad thing. You know, we have been sitting well below 
kind of 2% default rates for several years now. Basically, since 2020, you know, we saw a flurry of defaults immediately after the COVID uh, pandemic lockdowns of, of March 2020. But since then, we really haven't seen much in the way of, uh, of defaults. We saw a lot of companies able to refinance at lower rates. And default rates are sitting materially below historical averages. So I expect us to continue the trend of moving upwards and seeing an uptick of defaults in 2023 and moving into 2024. And with this, I think, you know, regardless if you have a hard landing or soft landing, I think those bottom companies are the ones who are susceptible. Those are the distressed companies that won't be able to survive this higher rates for a longer environment. So I do think that there's some headwinds there. I think there's some risk on the horizon for high yield. Uh, And I do think that that's going to cause some spreads to widen if we do see default rates increase, even just even just a few percent. So we're not even talking about, you know, 10 percent default rate, even if you get to that four or five percent, that's significantly more than we've seen. And you're going to see some near term underperformance if default rates kind of get to that five percent range by the end of 2024. One impressive aspect of the high yield market, though, has been the resiliency of high yield spreads. And I get a lot of questions as to like, how has that happened? We have seen some risk off periods this year. This summer, we've continued to see spreads tighten. And, you know, I think there are some outliers and some structural effects uh, in high yield that are, are keeping uh, those spreads tighter than maybe they than it looks at a surface. So, for example, there are several large issuers, Ford being the largest, um, that's on the cusp of being upgraded to investment grade. And you know, because they're such a large issuer relative to the rest of the high yield market, they're actually booing up. They're actually uh, keeping a lot of the high yield ratings and the quality of the high yield market a lot higher at the top level than you would expect or if you drill down in all the companies. So if and when we do see an upgrade of Ford, which is expected the next couple months, you know, that in itself will uh, de- be a little bit of a natural deterioration of credit quality in the high yield universe and would cause spreads to uh, widen slightly for the remaining uh, bonds in the universe. So all in all, I'm still a little concerned about high yield in the near term. I do think there's headwinds in the market. Even if we're going towards a soft landing, no landing uh, type of environment, I still see downside and I still see risk for those bottom issuers uh, and those distressed uh, issuers that make up a larger percentage of the universe than we've seen in the past. But if I'm looking longer term, high yield does continue to be a strong diversifier in a portfolio. It does provide a very attractive yield. We're talking about a close to 9% yield. Over the long term, it does provide a lot of correlation benefits to complement the rest of your fixed income holdings. So long term, I think high yield is still a structural part of your portfolio as a diversifier, as a yield enhancer. But near term, I do think that there are some risks on the horizon. So if I were to choose, I would look at BMO floating rate high yield ETF, ZFH, you know, as a way to get exposure to high yield credit with little to no duration exposure. So again, I mentioned in the first first uh, question, you know, I want to stay on the short end. I want to limit my interest rate sensitivity if we're going to be in this higher rate for longer environment. You know, so I would look at ZFH as a way to get about a 9% yield, but no 
very little to no uh, duration risk. So in the near term, I do think that there is some risk of, of spread widening here. Uh, you know, but if you're if you're someone who's looking for yield and it's in and it's part of a greater portfolio, I think that ZFH could be an excellent complement to the rest of, of your portfolio. But if I'm looking tactically and I'm looking at when to put this exposure on, you know, my preference is still uh, higher quality credit. So I would stay in the short end and I would look at two maybe investment grade options. If someone's asked me what to put on in the near term, you know, I would look at BMO ultra short term U.S. bond ETF ZUS.U or ZUS.V or the BMO short term investment grade bond hedge to CAD ETF ZSU. Both of those give you close to a 6% yield, very little, less than three years of duration risk. You're kind of targeting that that sweet spot of the curve where you're getting lots of yield, but very little interest rate sensitivity. Uh, and it would help you uh, move up the credit curve. So for someone who's not so yield hungry and is looking to improve quality in the portfolio, rather than looking at high yield in the near term, I would look at something more investment grade and ZUS and ZSU are both excellent options there. Great. Thanks, Matt. Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's money market and ultra-short-term bond ETFs offer several high-quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS. And last but not least, Chris, we'll pass this one over to you. Tech has done really well year to date with some near-term pressures. What are your thoughts on the utility sector as a whole, which is more defensive and also the worst performing year to date? Maybe you can highlight the two BMO tickers, BMO Equal Weight Utilities Index ETF tickers at UT and the Covered Call version, BMO Covered Call Utilities ETF tickers at WU. And can you also touch on how renewables have helped or detracted uh, this year for performance? Sure, Mackenzie. And I think you're right to look at all sectors, you know, regardless of where they have been performing in order to determine how much we want these in our portfolio on a go forward basis. As you mentioned, utility sector, generally a defensive oriented sector, um, has been the worst performing sector year to date. And that's largely due to interest rate movements. You know, if we think about utilities, uh, they really are the closest equities. Um, in terms of the equity market, they are the closest thing to fixed income instruments. And so do tend to be somewhat sensitive to interest rate movements. And, you know, if we look at the first half of this year, utilities actually providing a positive overall return because it was the shorter end of the curve that was really moving up in terms of yields, in terms of the fixed income space. And so it was those kind of two years and less type of yields that were moving up as interest rates continued to be moved up by central banks. Somewhere around, you know, kind of halfway through this year, kind of mid-June or so, that's when we started to see the longer end of the curve and those interest rates start to move up. And that's when utilities, um, you know, really started to be hurt as a sector as well. And so again, negative year to date because of the significant move we've seen in particular the last three months and in particular on those longer term maturity buckets on the yield curve. And so that's generally what's going to affect utilities in terms of that that interest rate sensitivity is that kind of five years plus uh, type exposure as these generally trade um, off of those yields. 
Now, if we think about where we are in the interest rate cycle, and you know, Matt's done a lot of uh, talking about that so far today. If we are thinking we're near the end of this, um, you know, higher for longer cycle, then we would expect some stability in those longer term interest rates. And therefore, we would expect utilities to kind of come back uh, as a uh, portfolio diversifier and a value add in the portfolio. So the second part of your question, if we just look at how renewables have helped or detracted in this space, you know, certainly having that renewable exposure, I think, has not helped the utility sector in general. Um, in both portfolios, ZUT and ZWU, there is an element of renewable exposure in each of these um, to varying degrees. But if we look at the names involved, like Northland Power here in Canada or Next Era Energy um, south of the border, you know, both of those names down. Um, in the, in the neighborhood of you know in in the case of Next Era 17% in the case of Northland Power over 30% and we have seen some other renewable names down significantly as well and so that particular area of the market selling off you know in addition to any interest rate sensitivity just in concert with other renewable names that we've seen in the past you know do very well over a couple of years and now have started to to, to give some of that back as a more volatile uh, subsector within the utility sector I mentioned earlier on about potentially taking a little bit of risk off for an investor that's been fully invested through this year so far probably enjoying um, somewhat positive returns um, to the higher end of the historical norms. One way to potentially take off some of that risk is to look at a more defensive sector. If you don't want to move into a factor, you know, bolt on some sector exposure. And I think utilities might fit that bill as we've been discussing here. ZUT, you know, the difference between the two ZUT is a pure Canadian play on that utility sector proper. Uh, ZWU has a bit more broader exposure. First of all, there's about one third invested in U.S. equities, so there's a, a, a probably a liquidity benefit there to ZWU, and there's also exposure to pipelines and telecoms uh, in that portfolio as well. You know, if we're looking at another area that hasn't done well um, so far this year, it is in that communication sector. You know, if you look at AT&T or Verizon south of the border or Rogers up here north of the border certainly been beat up so far this year as well in terms of uh, overall performance. Looking at it on a contrarian basis, you know, are these names finding a base? Are they finding a bottom? Are longer term yields, you know, starting to get to the point where we're not going to see a significant amount of uh, further interest rate movement upward? And just for, again, investors looking to position themselves a little bit more defensively, as we enter into the year end, you know, looking at either one of these, uh, I think makes sense. Uh, obviously, ZWU has the covered call overlay on top of that. So a bit more income focused investors looking for that kind of seven, eight percent distribution yield tax effective distribution yield um, can do very well there in terms of cash flow utilities. ZUT offers a, a decent dividend yield as well. Obviously, no uh, covered call enhancement and just a pure Canadian play as well. So um, I think either of those make a little bit of sense in terms of, again, adding on that defensive exposure, ZWU being a bit more broader, probably having a little bit more uh, liquidity benefit as well. Great. Thanks, Chris. Those are all the questions we have for this week. So I just want to thank everyone for listening in and a special thank you to both Matt and Chris for providing some great insights. I want to wish everyone a great day, and we'll see you next week. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Chris McKaney, and Matt Montemuro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Low Volatility U.S. Equity ETF. 
ticker ZLU, which provides exposure to a low beta-weighted portfolio of high-quality U.S. stocks. Our experts also discussed the BMO Short-Term U.S. Tips Index ETF, ticker ZTIP, which invests in short-term U.S. Treasury inflation-protected securities. And finally, the BMO Covered Call Utilities ETF, ticker ZWU, designed for investors seeking elevated income as well as growth exposure in utilities, telecoms, and pipelines. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.